2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. The question this morning, iniquity, what is it? Iniquity, what is it? We're going to, we're going to read this event in the scriptures that everybody is probably familiar with. Most everyone in this room will be familiar with this. Then what we're going to do after we read this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the word iniquity and we're going to determine how it applies in this scripture. I would dare say that most people don't even know what the word iniquity means, but when we get in the scripture, we're going to determine that the heart of David is in the, the, the point of iniquity makes all the difference in this event that we're about to read. And uh, I think it'll, we'll see that this morning. Let's begin reading. I am reading again out of the New International Version, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent everyone to find out about her. I'm sorry. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent his word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. Now when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, and how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all of the master's servants. It did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why don't you go home? And Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel, talking about the ark of the covenant, The ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open field. How could I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Well, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and he drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out and he slept on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, 
Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So, while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew that the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and he fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. And he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Don't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall who killed Amalek, the son of uh, Jerbeseth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thesbes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, And when he arrived, he told David everything that Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us, and he came out against us in the open, but we drove them back into the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Now when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After that time of mourning was over, David had her brought into the house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. How many of you heard that story before? Almost every one of us. I want you to know, and I'm going to preach a message this morning that I, I guess this had never dawned on me before. I, I realized that David was a little, he must have been a little removed in his relationship from God because maybe he was on one of them down slopes, you know, that we talk about sometimes. But we realized that David made some decisions here and made them pretty simply looked like to do these things that he he had done but i want you to realize something this morning and this is where the word iniquity comes in i want us to define the word iniquity this morning and then go back and look at where this word iniquity applies in this event that we're reading about watch this this is what the word iniquity means iniquity is when we know something is wrong, we know something is a sin, and we choose, mentally choose, to do it anyway. We know that it's wrong, and we do it anyway. We know it. That's what iniquity is. Now, listen to the definition of sin. The Scripture tells us in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in here are sinners. No fault of our own. Listen, when, when Adam sinned in the garden, it became an infection in all of mankind. Every single one of us are sinners. This is what it's like. And I, I remember as a kid being told what sin was and the illustration. This is what 
if you can put up a target up over here and you got a bow and arrow here and you sit there and you shoot, as long as you hit the bullseye, every single time you fire, everything's good. But what if you pull back one time and you miss the bullseye by just a hair? You are now imperfect. The scripture tells us every single one of us is perfect, imperfect. The, the word sin, when you read it in a dictionary, it says that you have missed the mark. When it says in the scripture that we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, none of us measure up to God. We all fall short. We have missed the target. Listen, we wake up every morning. If you wake up in the morning, and I want you to know if we're doing it a day-by-day thing, you wake up in the morning and you're without sin for that day as the morning goes. But before the day's over, you're going to miss the mark. Not intentionally. I know we're recording this. I, would, I don't mind saying this to my church family. I, I hate for people around that listen to it other places maybe hear this. I want you to know your, your preacher's a sinner. I was sitting at my desk the other day having just the perfect day. Everything was going good. I was even studying for this sermon. I was, I was getting ready for Sunday school. Everything was just fine. I get a phone call in a matter of two minutes on the phone. I hung that phone up and my head had turned red and I want you to know I slammed my hand on my desk and I said a word that shouldn't come out of a preacher's mouth. And let me tell you, I did not do that intentionally. I want you to know it broke my heart when that popped out of my mouth. That was sin. That was sin. I want you to know conviction immediately struck my heart and I apologized to God and said, I'm sorry, God, I don't want that to ever happen again. That is sin. This is what iniquity is, though. Iniquity is when I stand up here with my bow and I pull that arrow back and I see the target and I'm going to try my very best to hit the middle of that target and then I make a conscious decision to shoot that arrow a different way. I know that I'm supposed to be shooting that way, but I choose, I choose to shoot this way, intentionally missing the target. Does everyone understand what iniquity is this morning? Now, I want you to know, this is what the Holy Spirit does. When you begin to look at God's Word and He begins to deal with your heart, I really believed. I knew that I was a sinner, but as I began to study God's Word, what iniquity was, I became convicted of iniquity in my own life. Did you hear me? things in my own life that I knew were wrong and I did them anyway. I really, I have to be honest with you, I really thought I was above that and I realized that I am not. I'm, I'm almost sure that many of us fall into that category. So watch this. We're going to look at this same event. I'm not going to be long in this area, but we're going to look in this same event 
and areas that David knew were wrong. And he did them anyway. Let's look at the iniquity in the scripture. First of all, look down in verse number 4. Verse number 4, this is what it says. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. You know what? I, I let those other things go. It was very obvious in the scriptures prior to that that when David was on the roof and he saw this beautiful woman on the rooftop next to him, it was very obvious that he lusted after her because he saw her. Scripture says that. I want you to know everyone in this room has a, a because we're sinners, have a tendency to lust. He has not committed iniquity yet. It's when he saw her and he knew he had no business inviting her to his house to have sex with her. He knew that was wrong and he did it anyway. That's iniquity. You know what even makes this worse? At the time David committed this iniquity, do you know how many wives he had? Eight. And yet he looked over there he knew that he was not supposed to do that. He lusted after her. He gave into that lust and he had her anyway. That's iniquity. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6, Immediately David tries to cover up his iniquity, so he sent his word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent to him David. Send him to David. Every single one of us know exactly what he's trying to pull here. He says, I will go ahead and I will get her, uh, her husband to come from the battlefield and if he'll go home and sleep with her, whew, I dodged that bullet. But Uriah was a more honorable man than David himself. Uriah says, I would not dare go home and sleep with my wife. Not while my companions, my friends, my, my master is out in the battlefield. I wouldn't dare. Iniquity. David knew trying to cover this up was wrong. The next thing, the next time we see it taking place, verse number 12, it tells us this, Then David said to him, Stay one more day. He tries again to cover up what he knew was wrong. This is iniquity. Here, I'm going to get him home. I'm going to get him drunk. And maybe in his slumberness, maybe in his drunkenness, he'll go home. Even in Uriah's drunkenness, he made the right decision not to go home. So David finds himself in an awkward position, I am the king. I've got to cover this up. Look what it says down in verse number 14. <clears throat> David got up and he wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. Uriah took a letter in his hand and he took it and he gave it to Joab. His death sentence is in this letter. Joab, I mean, Uriah has no idea what he's about to do. He hands his death sentence to Joab and Joab sends him to the front line. And David murders Uriah. He murders him. Premeditated iniquity. Do we understand iniquity? Iniquity is knowing what we're doing is wrong and we choose to do it anyway. That's what iniquity is. When we look in the scriptures, we recognize You'll notice all those scriptures up here that have to do with, with uh, Psalms. 
I just want you to know that the Scripture separates the difference between iniquity and sin. It separates the two. In Psalms chapter 106, it says, We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity. Let me say this. All iniquity is sin, but not all sin is iniquity. Did you hear that? Did y'all catch that? All iniquity is sin, but not all sin is iniquity. Psalms 32 and 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, watch this, and my iniquity have I not hid. Separated the two. Things I normally do, and then those things I knew I shouldn't have done, I'd done anyway. Psalms 38, For I will declare my iniquities, and I will be sorry for my sin. 85, 2, it says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquities of thy people, and thou hast covered all of their sin. See, the psalmist right there recognizes the difference between the two. Turn with me to Psalms. This is, you need to go here. Psalms 51. Now, most of us this morning recognize that in Psalms 51, now the rest of the scriptures, all these scriptures now are coming out of the King James if, you, if you're interested. But, but all of the, in Psalms 51, this is David after he has been made aware of what he has done. Okay? God sends, God sends a prophet to him and says, many of you know the phrase, David, you're the man. You're the one that this, this story that I just told you, you're the man that committed these sins. You were the one that's guilty. And David's eyes were opened that God was fully aware of what he thought he had hid from God. Watch what it says here. Psalms 51, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. I, I, don't, I haven't even touched on the word transgressions. The sign says, no trespassing. I know Jeremy's guilty of this. Me and him have talked about this. When we were kids, we'd see that no trespassing sign and we'd see that pond over there. I mean, the fish were just jumping out of it. And what do you do? You bend down you go through that barbed wire fence and hope you don't get caught. Transgressions is when you rebel against what you have told not to do. That's, tra- that's transgressions. David says, God, forgive me of my transgressions. I rebelled against you. Watch what it says in verse number 2 though. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What David is referring to here, he is talking about his transgressions and his iniquities. He says, God, I have sinned against you. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. Iniquity. Let me ask you a question right now. Are you guilty of iniquity? I, I want you to know we, we sometimes slough off the things and the acts that we commit and we just slough it off and say, well, we're sinners, we can't help ourselves. I'm telling you, that is, that is part of us, who we are. But if you're guilty of iniquity, it's because you've chosen to do it. It's because you've chosen 
to do it. Now I want you to I want you to see something this morning that when I saw this in my study of this verse about iniquity, God has a principle that He carries out all through the Scriptures concerning iniquity. When we look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you hear that? In other words, in other words, when we read right before God floods the earth, he looked at the heart of man and their thoughts were only on evil continually. The world was full of iniquity. They knew the things that they were doing. They knew the thoughts of evil. Their intentions were to do what they wanted to. They didn't care who thought about it, who saw it. It was continually on sin. Watch the mercy of God here. Then it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He tells Noah to begin to build an ark. And that ark took 120 years. I want you to know the mercy of God. The mercy of God. The abundant mercy of God was poured out in that situation. But iniquity had gotten to the point, watch, the balance and the scale of iniquity had gotten so great, God could only bring judgment on the world. God is a just God. The world got exactly what it deserved because iniquity ruled in the world. Watch this. I said this is a principle of God. God looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and the iniquity in Sodom and Gomorrah had become so great that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't didn't judge the whole world. He looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and he said the iniquity is so great it has outweighed what I I have to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham says, Lord, but what if you find 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, all the way down? Listen, Abraham, if you can find five righteous, I'll spare the city. But iniquity has run rampant, and he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Watch this. This is a scripture you may not know or realize it's in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham, God promises Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and I, verse number 13. You can look it up later, but I'm going to tell you what it says. God promised Abraham. He said, Abraham, your descendants are going to take and they're going to possess this promised land out here. I'm giving it to them. But he says, I cannot do it right now because the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet come full. In other words, this is what God is saying. He says, I am a just God. He says, I have the foreknowledge of the things that are going to be taking place in this promised land, and I want you to know their iniquity is going to become so great, I am going to use the nation of Israel as my judge and the judgment of the world, and I'm going to send them in there, and I'm going to command them to kill every man, woman, and child. You may say, well, I can't believe this. Hey, I have told this. I have to answer this question all the time. People say, well, it's okay for you to go and kill these people because look what God, God told them to go and kill. Listen, God didn't tell them to go and kill. God told them to go and 
and, and administer justice, judgment. I've declared the judgment. The balance of the scale had tossed. It had to be reckoned. God didn't just send his people in there and say, I like you more than them. Iniquity had come full. Again, another principle. God sent, Abraham, God sent Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, or not Daniel, but Ezekiel and Zechariah, and he sent them to the, to the Israelites, and he said, listen, guys, if you don't stop serving idols, I'm going to send a nation from the east, and I'm going to have them come in here and take you captive and take you back. The Bible tells us that even the high priest, the leaders, the preachers in the day, were committing iniquity by worshiping idols down in the caves and then they would come up and administer the services during the week. They knew what they were doing was wrong. They committed it anyway and God warned them and he finally sent in judgment using the Babylonians to take them out. Do you see what the, the tipper of the scale is? The tipper of the scale is iniquity. That's what's tipping the scale every single time is the amount of iniquity. Iniquity. So this is where we are this morning. You know what's destroying the church? Iniquity. Oh, goodness. I've got to be very careful what I say right now. I could hurt a lot of people's feelings right now. Let me start off and make it kind of light. Man's got his little boy and, and they're going through the cornfield that doesn't belong to them. And they come up to a road in the middle of this cornfield and they get up there and the daddy sticks his head out and he looks this way and he looks this way and he grabs his little boy by the hand and they run across that road into the other side of the cornfield and they're fixing to steal corn from this farmer. And the little boy says, Daddy, you forgot to look up. Because you see, he was about to commit iniquity. I hate that it's became the normal. I hate that it's become normal in our society today. Dating, looking for a spouse, involves sex. We know that that's wrong, but we do it anyway. We know that drunkenness is wrong, but we do it anyway. Now, I, I want you all to notice here that I have not called in a bunch of people pagans and unbelievers in here to preach this message. I'm preaching this to the church because I believe that's who God needs to hear this. I remember <laughs> I keep forgetting that I'm recorded. I was fixing to call this young man's name that I was in junior high with. I got to running around with this guy, I didn't have many friends like many of 
Our kids growing up today, I didn't have many friends when I was in school. Junior high, I was struggling just to have one or two. This one guy kind of took an interest in me. I wanted to go to his house, and he had a pond behind his house. I wanted to fish. And I remember I come home and I asked my mom. I said, Mom, is it okay if I go to his house? And she said, Well, sure, I don't mind. You can go home with him after school tomorrow. My older brother came to my mom and said, Mom, Wayne does not need to go home with him. And this is close enough. Steve told me, he says, he says I can get a package of Mama's cigarettes and I can get into Daddy's booze and we'll go down there behind the pond and we'll get drunk tomorrow if you want to after school. And that was exciting to me. Not to get drunk or have cigarettes, but I had a friend. I was going to do whatever I could do to hold on to this friend. My brother told Mom, said, Mom, you don't need to let Wayne go with him. That's a bad influence. But I want you to know, I, I wanted to go so bad, and my mom changed her mind, and I didn't get to go. But I'm telling you, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to be accepted by someone else. didn't care much about what God cared about. I cared about what this person or this person on this side cared about. That's iniquity. I praise God for my brother for that. I, I was really mad at him then, but I'm glad he sheltered me from that. Iniquity. Oh, I, I remember now the point that I was going to make. Let, let me tell you what happened when I started running around with Steve. Steve taught me how to cuss real good. You know how I know that was iniquity? When I was around Steve, I could cuss with the best of them. When I was around my mama, I could control it. I could turn it off just like that. Iniquity. You know how you know it's iniquity? When you get on your computer and you go to places that you know you shouldn't go, and then you reach up there and delete the history so nobody finds out. That's iniquity. I've been convicted of iniquity. In my life. Iniquity destroys the testimony of a Christian. Iniquity destroys the testimony of a church. And I believe with all of my heart, I told my Sunday school class I wasn't going to say that, say this. I believe iniquity and the scale of iniquity in this world today is going to determine the day that Jesus comes back. Because the iniquity of the world has become so great, but I believe it's going to be because of the iniquity of the church. Listen to this statement. If we continue to choose sin, our hearts harden towards God. One sin leads to another, and iniquity begins to define our lives. Let me use this last example, and we'll be done. I used to uh, pastor a church over in Huxley, 
when you turned out of Shelbyville, just about a mile out of Shelbyville, the National Forest begins, and we drove 13 miles through the National Forest to get to the edge of Lake Toledo Bend, and that's where private property started. It was a very common thing to drive through the National Forest over there and see them doing one of those controlled burns. And when they do a controlled burn, a lot of times they would, they, there would be an old pine tree out there. Now, East Texas people know what pine kindling is. Rich lighter pine. We know what that is. A lot of, a lot of people maybe from Florida don't understand what this is. All right? But no pine tree would get out there and a pine tree would die and the wind would finally blow that old pine tree over and it would leave a pine kindling stump. And what happened would they burn that national forest off and I want you to know when that fire got close to that old pine, rich ladder pine stump, I mean it would catch on fire and I mean it would burn, oh it would burn until either the wind blew it out or the rain smothered it out. Maybe at night it would get chilly and the, the dew got heavy and it put the fire out. But it would leave that pine kindling stump black. It would leave it black. Well, it took a couple of years to go by. They would set the National Forest on fire again, and that fire would come go through there, and it would heat up that old rich lighter pine, and through that dark part, that black on the outside of that stump, it would heat it up to a point that resin, that rosin, would ease out. It would ignite that stump again, and it would begin to burn. Something that night, put it out again, and a thicker layer of charcoal would build on the outside of that stump. And then for years and years and years after that, they'd set that national forest on fire, and that stump would never catch on fire again. You want to know why? Because the charcoal on the outside of that stump had gotten so thick, its conscience was seared. Did most of y'all understand that? Amen. Do you know what happened to David? David got so used to sinning in iniquity that it didn't even affect his conscience anymore for the things that he was doing. Now, what does God want us to understand about iniquity this morning? God wants us to examine our lives and to see how much charcoal we've got built up on the outside of our hearts. Is there sin in our life that we know that what we're doing is wrong and we continue to do it anyway and it doesn't even affect us anymore? Now you want to know how to get that old pine kindling stump started again in that national forest? You walk out there with an axe and you hit it a couple times. You knock that old charcoal off. You get down to the meat of that heart of that old stump again and the next time a fire comes along I want you to know it's going to spark off just like that. Brother Wayne, how can we do that in our lives as Christians? The Bible uses the word repent. I want you to know there needs to be a shakening. And I'm not just talking to Soda Baptist Church. There needs to be a shakening in the world today. There needs to be a shakening in the churches today. We need to be on fire again. We need to knock down these, these things that have calloused us. We're living in iniquity. We need to get that stuff out of our lives so that God can shine through our lives so that lives and the people around us can be changed. Iniquity. When I began to study the word iniquity, it made this event with David so much different because he'd done it consciously, 
knowing that it was wrong. He didn't just fall into it. This was a conscious decision. But he had gotten so far from God, those things did not affect him at all. Now, where are we this morning? Listen. I want you to know I do. I try to live the example in front of this church, in front of the people that I serve. I try to live a life as pure as I can, and yet I fall into areas of iniquity. I repent. This morning, in order for Soda Baptist Church to be the most effective we can be, we need to examine ourselves, and we need to have a meeting with God. We need to change our lives. Just like David said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, thy salvation, the salvation that you give me. God, I want to have that one-on-one relationship like I used to. Do you need that this morning? Let's stand and sing together. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I want to thank you for convicting my heart this morning of things that I need to change in my life. God, I just want to do what you tell us in Philippians, to examine ourselves. God, I've done that this week as I've studied this sermon. And God, I want to thank you for restoring that, that love and that joy and that tenderness uh, that I possess with you right now. Thank you for laying a message so strong on my heart. I just desire to please you unconcerned of what's around me. Thank you. May you be pleased with this invitation this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.